Welcome to a brand new episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And before we get into this week's episode, I, of course, want to thank my patrons, Rob, Frankie, Emily, Greg, and Case. If you would like to join them and get a thank you at the top of every episode of Autographs, you can go to patreon.com stormageddon with a ton more info there on how to get your shout-out. Um, also, if you can't give to my Patreon, I completely understand. A rating, a review, or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice is a huge help as well. But enough about that. Let's talk about this week's episode with the incredible Pete Petrusha. Pete is a game designer. He is also um, one of the members of the Indie Game Developer Network and also had asked me to take part in the Indie Groundbreaker Awards, hosting their post-show on my Twitch channel. Pete is a great guy. We were connected through a mutual friend, Tim. And not only does he work with the Indie Game Developer Network, but he is a game designer himself, designing the incredible game that was recently funded on Kickstarter, Rest in Pieces, a mix of Jenga and role-playing. Um, we get into more details about that and tons of other stuff that he's done in the episode. So without further ado, here is me and the incredible, brilliant, and delightful Pete Patricia. saying and it's like oh those if those line up in theory the rest of the conversation does. <laughs> um but uh but yeah no i'm really excited to have you on the show pete um listeners this is a treat uh pete Petrusha is a man that i met was that this year did did all did us did we actually just only meet this year because i can't remember i know it and we really did a lot of work in like july <laughs> So it yeah. really wasn't that long ago, but like with this no. being right after the election and then the school fiasco and then everyone with quarantine and like even uh, in the gaming industry, Gen Con, which was August, seems like forever ago. Forever ago. Yeah. So we, we got in touch around, I think, March or April. Yeah. Our mutual friend Tim Rodriguez connected us because uh, you were looking to do a live award show remote. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like our friendship just blossomed from there. So, uh, <laughs> Pete, for those who don't know you, maybe give the like elevator pitch of the kind of things you do. Sure. Game developer, convention coordinator. Like, yeah. Give people the elevator pitch. Yeah. So, uh, as you said, my name is Pete Petrusha. I largely uh, I make and design a, a role playing game, so tabletop games. Um, for some, that's just board games and card games. For others, it's only things like Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I kind of fall a little bit more in that camp. Um, so, as a designer and as a you know an indie publisher, basically a small press publisher, um, I, I've done a lot of this stuff myself. But then also uh, had the fortune to network and meet a lot of other great people who supplement the abilities of just one person, whether it's, you know, hiring, commissioning artists and graphic designers and people who help with marketing and production. And uh, we live in a day and age where you can really create a lot of things yourself with the tools that are available to you. And um, that led me to find the Indie Game Developer Network, um, a group that literally is about, you know, achieving more together. Um, realizing that the little guy will always be the little guy if the little guy can't team up with other little guys. Yep. Um, and that's been a wonderful journey. Uh, I've spent a few years uh, running the convention booths for them, uh, which has been great for me because I've get, I've gotten to not only see and learn about a lot of different products, but also see how consumers and customers like 
finger with those, talk about those, find them. How do you uh, sell someone into a game when they start by saying, oh, I played D&D once. How do I get them to your, you know, Firefly game, right? <laughs> like, how does that conversation get there? So there, with that, I, I've, you know, run, we, we did the award show for the Indie Groundbreaker Awards this year. I've run that a couple yeah. times. We've organized some events, you know, uh, retreats and, you know, a lot of cool stuff, thankfully, through the organization and meeting in a lot of cool people in the game industry. And if listeners, this sounds familiar, it's because one of the bonus episodes this year, uh, I say bonus episode, but it was just a standard episode, but it was a bonus for me. Um, I had the pleasure of hosting the um, post show on my Twitch channel for the Indie Groundbreaker Awards. Uh, It was so much fun, and I got to interview the winners, nominees, previous winners. It was a lot of fun, and I released the audio of that as an episode of the show. And so, like... I love IGDN. I think it's just such a great idea. Someone who's grown up playing a lot of indie and mainstream, both board games and video games, anything that allows indie creators to bloom. Like, I mean, previous guests of the show are indie rappers and indie musicians, indie singer-songwriters. So, like, indie is not unfamiliar to this show, and I think it's really great. And I think before we dive into uh, IGDN and some other things that you do, I really want to spotlight first something that I'm really excited about that you came to me about, which is now funded completely 127% um, Rest in Pieces, which is your board game, that is a twist on what people might think of the Tower Block, you know, popular game like Jenga, but it's Jenga kind of with a twist. And so I'd love for you to tell the listeners um, a little bit about Rest in Pieces. Sure. Yeah. So Rest in Pieces is so cool. It Basically, in the role-playing game sphere, there's this game called Dread that popularized horror role-playing or horror stories using a Jenga Mm -hmm. tower. And the Jenga tower just kind of as you're picking pieces away instead of rolling dice, um, the tension's building because we know when the tower falls, somebody dies. So a lot of people have spoken to Dread. There's been a a game about forbidden romance made off of the Jenga tower, and it's kind of worked its way through the RPG sphere of people being like, oh, this is cool. It's a neat twist of how to play a role-playing game. So I always kind of wanted to build on that, and I, I took it to a weird place of like slacker comedies. So in Rest in Mm -hmm. Pieces, you play fed-up, deadbeat roommates that are forced to live in a cramped, tight sort of studio apartment place with the Grim Reaper. And the Grim Reaper isn't just like the horrible, scary, legendary person that you know. (laughs) This is the Grim Reaper that, you know, is like hogging the TV, is eating all the nachos, is leaving a mess all over the place. (laughs) The ultimate deadbeat roommate. And what happens is this creates these sort of like scenario games where everyone's kind of like a slacker and like a sitcom like it's always sunny or something kind of rick and morty-esque or the regular show if you like like adult swim cartoons mm-hmm. um it creates this like sort of role-playing game experience with like some people would call it a narrative board game um that plays in like an hour so like it fits in people's schedules and they just kind of have a laugh they can kind of easily relate to like a slacker version of themselves and then the supernatural element of having the grim reaper or some other crazy pain in the ass character um, sort of throws in a cartoon logic. Like it suddenly, like it's not just the Grim Reaper is like your deadbeat roommate, but like he's got an addiction to the home shopping network. And like the underworld home shopping network allows him to order tigers and nuclear bombs and Pandora's box. And this is really hard for your slacker <laughs> characters to deal with. So um, it's kind of a ridiculous mess uh, of a game, but in a way that's like hilarious fun. So I'm so glad you found it, you heard about it, and you were excited about it too, because I, I think it's I think it's awesome, especially in this day and age with like Rick and Morty being huge and um, yeah. 
if anything, it's funny because maybe it's a little too close to home right this moment with it being like yeah. everyone yeah. being stuck <laughs> and maybe worrying they're the deadbeat roommate. But, you know, uh, it's yeah, exciting. It, it's really cool. I, you also cite The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy as oh, a yeah. source as, like, inspiration. And, if, and, like, looking just at the drawings of your your Grim Reaper, who who is very much its own version of the Grim Reaper, but I definitely get vibes of that show. I grew up watching that show. And oh, so yeah. Like, Huge inspiration. It, I, I, would, I would have led with it, but, like, not enough people know about it anymore because that's, like, I early know, 2000s. Right? Um, the and ar- it didn't get that many se- seasons either. It was, like, yeah. a short-lived show. Not bad. I think that's six, which is good. Oh, okay. You know, good not enough. Um, but, yeah, like, the art is inspired by Invader Zim. So if you like yep. that sort of thick, bold lines and those crazy characters that have, like, eyes that are bigger than the sides of their head and weird, <laughs> ne- you know, the goofy sort of middle-aged uh, – and by I'm like, middle school-aged, like, kid look, um, that's yep. the fun art style that it has. But, yeah, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy was, like, the first thing I really dug into. Um, but the regular show uh, is another amazing yeah, slacker totally. comedy that did eight eight seasons that uh, I found myself watching every single one of those. And then it's always sunny, and obviously I, I burned through Rick and Morty. So um, yeah, I can't say that I was like the pre like the the premier slacker comedy guy. <laughs> so right, sure. When, when the game even got this concept of um, from kind of death and all his friends, which was the original core idea. Yeah. To like, what if death kind of sucks and he's like a shitty roommate? Um, and we all laughed and was like, maybe there's gold there, you know? Uh, I, right. I started diving into this stuff and was like, I don't know if I'm the person to write this game. Um, but I had no problem. I, I, I'm, I think I'm a natural instigator, even though you got to know me well enough to be that guy. But like my wife, she will. She'll be like, God, he always, he's always pushing buttons. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I I really love it, and I love that it got the attention that it deserves on Kickstarter. And like, what was really fun for me is like, you know, we all exist on social media, and we share stuff that we're passionate about or that we like. And I and I promised you, since I couldn't get you on the show before the Kickstarter ended, that I would share it around a bunch, see if anyone takes hold. And like within minutes, one of my friends, who's a streamer, Bloody Faster, who I adore, she was like, "Oh, this is amazing! I'm gonna get it!" And 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 did. And so that's really cool. And I know that on the Kickstarter, you have a timeline for everything. So, like, first, I'd love to know a little bit about your experience with Kickstarter because this isn't your first Kickstarter game, as far as I can tell. And and I know that some people have had hit or miss experience with Kickstarter. How have you found the community, the gaming community, rallying around Kickstarter? Do you feel like it it's really worked well for you for getting these games made? Oh yeah, yeah. So for like the role playing game, the board game, the card game, the whole tabletop game industry, like Kickstarter is redefined what it means to be a a publisher of any kind Mm -hmm. um because you find even everyone other than maybe dungeons and dragons other like a few premier names but most of the premier names also use kickstarter because it's become like this like the gold standard of Mm pre-orders uh you know back in like the 80s and 90s when a lot of people started delving into stuff that wasn't just monopoly or you know shoots and people other than hasbro were making games um you really just kind of had to like take a second mortgage out and be like, I don't know, <laughs> because the the production is it's not insane, but you you needed to be like, okay, can I make twenty thousand copies of these? Where am I going to put right. them, and will they sell? And unfortunately for a lot of people, they didn't, right? <laughs> and then they get burned, right. and people's garages are full, and you know they're <laughs> they're they're tens of thousands, if not more, in debt. Um, so the beauty of what happened with not only self publishing tools becoming more and more available with the internet and Adobe and all these suites and stuff was like Kickstarter crowdfunding made it so that we don't even have to make that thing yet. 
We can be like, yeah. hey, guys, what if I made this thing and it looked like this and it had this stuff? Would you buy that? And not only would you buy it, but you'll give me money now before I actually go print a bunch so I can use that to print a bunch and they keep making more. So it's this beautiful patron, Patreon sort of thing, right, where like people are helping um, designers or indie people of publishing whatever it is, music or right. CDs or new designs, inventions to go make the things that before they just really wouldn't have wanted to bet their house on or risk the, right. the food that feeds their family the money, you know? Um, and when you give people that luxury of safety, um, that's just what it is, right? As more people take that plunge, you get a lot more stuff, hopefully a lot more, you know, a lot of good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But you definitely get a lot of gems and that's what's really propelled Kickstarter. And Kickstarter, for good and bad now, has become like the model for making tabletop games uh, for everyone in that industry except for like the one percent sort of thing because you for just sure. can't you can't avoid it right because the, it just the, the pre-orders the stability the amount of money and largely a lot of times you can find out like okay cool maybe this is like half of what i'm going to sell so it even helps you sort of forecast the, the shelf life and the length of how much do i invest in this thing so it's for keeping sure, a yeah. lot of people afloat too if that if that matters i mean uh, not only helping them get started but it's keeping them alive yeah, for sure. And I think like it's funny. I remember when that kind of that uh epiphany moment happened through my friend group post college where people were like, "Did you know other people make games? Like it's not just Connect 4 and chess." And those games all have their great place, and I actually happen to love chess and Connect 4. But like the idea that besides major toy companies, other people make games and like starting to learn about Euro games and finding out about Fantasy Flight and these giant companies who weren't always giant, creating these off-the-wall bizarre games and, like, even companies making games. Like, I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. It just wasn't my thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but I know, right? Yeah. But the Fantasy Flight Game of Thrones game is so much fun to play. Sure. Because it doesn't matter. Like, a yeah. good board game doesn't matter what property it's based on. If the mechanics are fun, yeah. it doesn't matter. And I feel like you can't always do that with video games and other art forms usually you need to know the source material to some degree to play oh, yeah yeah right you're otherwise you're, you're missing out or something yeah correct yeah and so like i love that about about when i first started to learn about board games were you someone who always played board games growing up because i was i was a kid who played had tons of board games growing up. <laughs> was that a thing that you you absolutely did as well sure uh I played a lot of video games, and obviously yeah. I, I was into all the, like the Japanese role playing games. You know, like the Final Fantasies, the Dragon Warriors, sure. these kind of games. Growing up in that Super Nintendo Genesis sort of generation, the PlayStation stuff. Um, yeah, and that led me to make a lot of friends who also played these things and would have other hobbies that are tangential, which is pretty much how the world works, right? Um, and I'd find like Magic: The Gathering, the card game. I find yep. friends that like comic books and we collect like comic book character cards that were kind of like baseball cards, but like had your favorite characters and stuff and their stats. And, you know, so these kinds of things um, got me closer and closer to role playing games and board games. Um, and Magic the Gathering and comic books got me in those stores. And that's where yeah. ultimately I, I used to call myself a store rat because me and my friends, my, my big friend group that I really carried out of high school was just the group of people that every day after after school, we'd all find our way to the local game store and we'd hang out there till our moms, dads, or we walked home when they closed at 8 or 9 p.m. So it's kind of like our after school every day of the week thing we did. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, it was a way of life. Like it, it literally was um, what I did, you know, all through high school, 
other than when I was dating or something, you know, because, you know, like like a lot of people, you disappear for a little while and then you come back yeah. and uh, everyone's like, hey, what's going on? Um, yeah. And I mean, I made all these I made amazing friends and I learned all kinds of crazy stuff. And, um, you know, the most interesting people in the world used to hang out in game stores because they, they, we had sure. our eccentrics. We had our crazies. We had our outcasts. <laughs> we had, you know, um, and then everyone who just like there's plenty of people, too. Who'd be like, you know, it's like the high school football guy who's like, oh, yeah. nobody knows that I play magic. You didn't see me here. But you just you get everybody there. So. Um, it was really neat because, like, I learned how to, like, the first person to teach me how to forge a report card. <laughs> you know, you just get all kinds <laughs> of crazy stuff. Like, this probably won't work if your parents realize that it's not color. But if they don't realize it's not color, it's golden. <laughs> That's amazing. So, yeah, so I found all kinds of games. And that also led me to a cool game design journey because I didn't grow up on, like, one game. Right. Which a lot of people kind of have that experience, like, if they play Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of people never leave Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you know, with board games, it's a lot different, right? People, there's nobody who's like playing. Well, some people do play Monopoly forever, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, a lot totally. of people then play more than one game. They're not like always Cards Against Humanity for life. And that's what that leads me to what I wanted to ask you next. So, like, game designer is one of those jobs. Like for me as podcaster, like that I just. It's not a thing that as a kid I ever thought is a thing that would exist, let alone a thing that I could do. So when did that shift happen? When did you go from someone who played games to someone who designed games and what kind of sparked that? Yeah, you know, um, I'm so glad you asked that question because like, I feel like I have some insight into it that's interesting um, because it's kind of profound. And I mean that because personally it was profound because – my whole life, like as a kid, you know, my, my mom and my dad were like, you know, get out of your bedroom, quit playing video games, get out, get, you know. And then like yeah. when I was like in high school and, you know, they're like, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with your life? And I, I, I would just be playing video games like, I don't know, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. And I kind of grew up like high school was like the dot com era when the Internet was starting to happen. So I had like dot com dreams. Right. So, of course, I'm this punk kid who's like playing video games and I'm like, oh, well, don't worry. When I get out of high school, I'm going to make this card company. And, you know, it's going to I have this plan where one dollar cards are going to revolutionize the card industry, um, which was kind of a cool idea. But anyway, I digress was they were like, why couldn't you like make games? Like, why couldn't you like make games? And I was like, Dad, I can't make games. I don't know how to program. Like, do you have any idea how, how hard it is to make video games? And then you got to get, you know, and I would just blow it off. And I always thought I would be more in business, like uh, entrepreneurial, because again, I right. had the dot, dot com hopes. Um, and while that was that was all good for me, it took a long period of time. Before I found myself working for uh, you know my nine to five, and I was comfortably in my early thirties, and I was in a stable relationship with my own home, and I, I could see the writing on the wall of what where's my promotion potential, like where's my career right. trajectory, and I was just very comfortable, and I realized that I was like okay, I have space in my life to fit something in that's important to me. Uh, and I found myself resurging into role-playing games and tabletop games. And then um, with that time and with like, like you know, like I said, self-publishing tools and all these things, I, I didn't necessarily, I didn't know how to use Photoshop and InDesign, <laughs> but there's, it wasn't that hard to learn. You know, if you, yeah. if you're dedicated and you're detail oriented and you put, you sacrifice a little, um, 
and I started going to seminars and workshops. So the long story short is about, you know, five, in that last five to 10 years, I, I was starting to think of like, I want to give back to this hobby that meant so much to me that I had a friend group that, you know, I felt um, came out of that, like trusted loyal friends for, you know, decades. Right. And then mm -hmm. it gave me a level of confidence. Like one of the things I found myself good at was like, being kind of a storyteller and like directing directing stories in a way like that we do at like a role-playing game table. And I got that because I found those games at a pivotal time in my life. So I have not only these wonderful memories and these great stories and these wonderful people I've met, but like it gave me confidence and like told me I'm good at some things that I just stumbled upon. So anyway, I wanted to give back to it. And long story short was that I couldn't see that when I was young. I couldn't see yeah. that. I wrote it off as in like, well, you can't have a whole career making games. Like, you, it's not going to make enough money. But eventually I got to that point where money wasn't the most important part. It was about like, hey, what's important to you and how can I give back? How can I make that better than when I found it? Um, and also, by the way, you can make money. <laughs> you know, so uh, it was a priority shift that eventually allowed me to kind of open my eyes to that. I think I think that's something about our generation a little bit is because I have a feeling that we're in a similar age range. And like this idea that, you know, when when our parents were growing up, it's you had a job, you did that one job, you provided for your family and that was it. Whereas very much for our generation, it's like you can have a job that provides for your family and still do other things. And like your story of getting into game design reminds me a lot of my story of getting into podcasts. Like I was listening to them for a while. I started to really enjoy them. I was like, well, I guess if like it was the same thing like i used an ipad microphone for my early podcast like i do like terrible quality stuff and it's like but you learn as you go and if you want to learn it it's not that hard i think i had a similar idea to you and i don't know that even if i could now would i want to design video games but i grew up playing them and loving them but it was like oh that's impossible i can't learn that when the reality is it's not that you can't learn it. It's that you don't want to or don't think you can, and so you don't try. And and I love that we live in a world where so much is accessible, especially now in a time of quarantine, that if you really want to do something, now is the time. Like, you're home. Learn a skill and do it. And, you know, I, I think it's really great that we're afforded these opportunities now. It's, you know, it's a silver lining to a terrible time, but this idea that just modern accessibility in general just before the pandemic allow us to try things that people even 10 years ago couldn't have tried. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's just kind of like I was saying, you know, I, I keep going back to the self-publishing tools. But, you know, if you wanted to write a book today, it's not you don't have to use like MS Word, right? Like you can <laughs> literally get software that's, you know, professional grade quality to do like whether it's making videos, like, you know, obviously we made the Groundbreaker Awards video, you yeah. know, the, the, you can put on presentations, you can you can just, you can do stuff that you see on the movies, but like you can do it yeah. at home for like $30 a month. You just have to like <laughs> practice and learn and get better. And, and it's, you know, what their skills and I'm not the best at any of them, right? But you can get that sort of 80, 90% comprehension where you can do most stuff and then find the people yeah. who can help you get that last 10%, you know? Um, yeah. And with the internet and social media, we're so connected and we can find people who are also passionate. And if they're passionate uh, and they like the thing, uh, you can probably work at a pretty good deal that's fair for both of you. So, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, so it's funny looking back because like, like you yeah. said, it was insurmountable at one time and the rewards were not good enough. But in time I found I should be caring. What, what have I spent my life doing? 
right? Yeah. That's what I'm an expert at. Why am I not giving back to that, using those things that I just, they came easily. Um, right. So just like, a, I mean, it's not as obvious as being like a talented musician or something, right? Where you have this great voice right. and everyone can tell or something. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yeah, it was just kind of, it was, it was kind of that obvious choice. It, it took me a long time to hit me over the head and be in the right place at the right time to go, oh, I should do that. I really should do that. For sure. Um, now I have to ask, uh, you mentioned earlier that you grew up playing video games, a lot of the same video games that I grew up playing. Are you still an avid video game player? Do you still play any sure. video games? Yeah. So I'm curious. I have two questions. Yeah. I have, what was your favorite video game growing up if you had to pick one, which I know is hard. Uh, for, for me, it was Chrono Trigger. I just That was like the first RPG I ever played and it blew my mind. So what was your favorite game playing growing up? And then what's a favorite game that you're playing right now? Um, so Final Fantasy VII, I'm one of those people. Yeah. That was my game. Yeah. Um, I, big one. I could say uh, it's the cop-out a little bit because Final Fantasy II, which had like Cecil or Cecil and Kane, the Dragoon, like it was a very formative game for a lot of people. That, that was probably the one where I like played it a billion times, kind of like Chrono Trigger, right? That like right. I could really – I have all these memories of it being like the one that I fell in love with. Um, and then the the third one in Chrono Trigger and eventually but Final Fantasy 7 was like this special moment in video games at that time in my life like it was this huge event yeah. the new PlayStation system and this grand game that just bigger than anything we've ever seen and the the look of it was just so far advanced and then you know uh, you know the spoilers naturally of like the character death and like the progression and the weird twist of the story that were just kind of unprecedented yeah. and it felt so uniquely mine and it might just be that like, like you mentioned, Chrono Trigger is probably like right, like two or three, like it's right in there. But yep. I, I wonder too, maybe it was my age. Like I was a few years older yeah. when I played Final Fantasy VII, so maybe being able to like sort of better understand the concepts of the more complicated story was more interesting then. Or with Chrono Trigger, I loved it and I loved all the elements of it. But maybe I, I mean, you know, there's. There might have been parts that it just wasn't that perfect time because literally that right. would be like number two. I have this awesome gem, like sort of one of those gem stitch things over here that I uh -huh. could grab and show you if we weren't, you know. Um, yeah, and then so then and lately I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles. Uh, there's nice. the remake they game. have for uh, um, the Switch. Switch, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I have it too. Yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. I played the first one, but I didn't, and then the Wii. I just didn't finish it because so long, mm -hmm. and I, I'm. I'm you probably know as well as I do because of our era where we're like completionists and we want to see everything and find all the secrets and like walk every clear all the map and and they don't make <laughs> games for us anymore. They make games that no. are like if you do that it's 200 hours and as adults right. nobody's got time for that, you know? Exactly. Yeah, totally. So I I I've gotten Xenoblade Chronicles the the whatever the deluxe version is and mm -hmm. uh, I it was I really laughed at myself that I quickly passed the part I was <laughs> in the last time we played <laughs> because like, I, I don't know. I was like, did I spend 30 hours last time in like the first area? Cause now I'm like half, you know, I thought it was farther than the game. It's a huge game. Yeah, it is a very huge game. So, uh, uh, that's just what I've been playing lately. Um, I obviously I played the Final Fantasy VII remake and was stunned, uh, recently. Me too. I, did you enjoy it? Cause I loved it. Oh I thought it was yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. It was so good uh, for it to be modernized. And I, uh, especially like there's just something to be said about how they pulled off like the romance um and yeah. it, it's not like the game's like a romance it, they just like pulled it off like we never saw when we were younger they by having yeah. just a f uh, some choices and the, the game being a little flirty and having the yep. different people and it being feeling like more of a journey 
instead of like, a, you know, the old 8-bit, 16-bit stuff felt like, oh, we're in town, but the town's like, you know, the, the really small. And, you, you know, this this game made every part of the journey felt very big. Like you were like in a yeah. real world walking from town to town sort of thing. So they fill that time well with the character interaction, you know? And I yeah. I was really charmed by that, uh, even more so than I expected. The end the Same. end's a little weird, which I'm not going to spoil, but she probably know too. Because yeah. yeah, it, yeah. it, it seemed like they hit the fast forward button on some things to make it feel complete, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how how it works once it's a complete thing, which we're probably not getting now till the PS5. But like, I'm I'm curious to see how they finish out that story. But yeah, no, I love the remake as well. I loved the ending. I thought it was interesting, though a little confusing. But one of my favorite moments with that game is there's a streamer named the Strange Rebel who has Strange Rebel Gaming. Her name is Bree. She's also the voice actress of Aerith in the new game. And so I watched her stream the game for the first time and watched in real time her get to the first Aerith Aerith, um, moment and then just like just break down. Like she just got so emotional and it's just so cool. Like I can't even imagine what that's like, but it was fun to watch that. And, And she's someone who had never played the original. So this is just all new to her. And it was just really cool. I it's weird to live long enough to see some of your favorites redone and it doesn't always work i'm grateful for how much i liked final fantasy 7 remake but like people have yelled about remaking chrono trigger forever and i'm just like i don't know like i i chrono trigger is such a specific experience because it's final fantasy but with a lot of extra and different things and i just i don't know that it would work modernized but you know i would still try it if they did and like i notoriously didn't like chrono cross on playstation but i think i might need to give that game another shot cuz i also went into it going it's not chrono trigger this is bullshit and it, like that's nonsense <laughs> it definitely was like a spiritual successor right and and that yeah. that's a, that's a nice way of saying it's not it's not the same right right <laughs> uh, good but just not the same and and that's such a hard place to be you see it often right like often duplicated but never replicated or whatever they say you know like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's just hard to pull off the magic again for, for sure. sure expectations um, are hard yeah no, <laughs> without a doubt um i want to talk a little bit more about um board games so um do you have you must be a source for friends for recommending board games considering you make them and you play them do you have a board game right now that besides rest in pieces which isn't out yet but will be everyone's favorite game um but besides that do you have a game or two right now that you're playing a lot that with friends that you're really liking oh sure yeah i mean unfortunately right like when it comes to like a physical board right i'm not right. seeing anybody right it's been so <laughs> right. long so I, I do have some that are like collecting dust that i'm like i can't wait to play these <laughs> and I, i'm so jealous when i meet people who are like oh uh, we can't get enough board games because they have a bigger family or something like they yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, it's me my wife and my two-year-old so you know, if anything the two-year-old <laughs> just wrecks whatever we're playing anyway knocks it all over um so w- now that i see that i mean we had a blast as two people playing pandemic legacy so sure. i'm sure a lot of people if they like board games have already heard about this but if you haven't i mean it's like a 60 dollar game that is just so incredibly well spent if you like pandemic at all uh, you're going to love Pandemic Legacy. And if you didn't like Pandemic, you probably still will like Pandemic Legacy. <laughs> it's basically just um, these legacy games are versions of like, it'd be like playing Risk or Monopoly. But then like some of the things and the choices that you do in your first play affect the next mm-hmm. play, affect the next play. And it actually keeps molding and recreating the game into similar but different, but in a good way. Right. You feel ownership over it. Um 
I have this betray- the betrayal version, like betrayal of the House on Haunted Hill. Oh yeah, I, remember, I love that. I game. so want to play the Legacy one, but that one is a three player per you know game because you have to yeah because there's always like a good chance of one person becoming a traitor. So they yep. need that third element. So unfortunately, that's been boxed. But I, I just I love that game. So I can't. I would love the legacy version. Sure. Yeah. So you know, and then when it comes to role playing games, that's the beauty of them. Is for the most part, other than playing Rest in Pieces, you can kind of do it well <laughs> online. Yep. Um, so I've I've had I've been lucky to play like a handful of newer games that I hadn't played, catching up on stuff. Yeah. Um, but I haven't been playing anything regularly. I, I've sure. really been interested in the there's this game called Blades in the Dark. So I've okay. spent a lot of time lately thinking about that. Um, kind of a, a steampunk slash, uh, well, kind of the Victorian element of steampunk, but like almost with like a ghost feel. Like it's this underworld that's all seedy and dark that feels like old England. And uh, you're playing like scoundrels and thieves that live in this dark city that's haunted and surrounded by like lightning barriers that like keep out the ghosts so that like the city oh, wow. can live. And it's just got a great feel and attitude and atmosphere. And then you know that you're like these, this sort of crew, this motley band of, you know, uh, rogues that are all getting together, hoping to make a name for themselves. It's got this team aspect to it. So uh, I look forward to playing that more as I've been like diving into it. So. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, I'm right now, I'm playing a few Pathfinder or D&D campaigns. And right now, a friend of mine's running Curse of Strahd, which is, you know, a tale as old as time. Oh, that, yeah. That D&D campaign's been around for a while. But it's good. Uh, That's why it's still, they modernized it for 5e, and now they're creating yeah. a revamped version, which literally yeah. they call it revamped. I'm like, <laughs> how, how are you going to sell me this a third time? It's not even been a, like a five years since the second time. But you know I'm going to buy it. And I'm just yeah, like, you bastards. Absolutely. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, and so that's it, that's been a lot of fun to get together with friends on Discord and play that. And I made I made a character that is absolutely not Trevor Belmont, but it's Trevor <laughs> Belmont. That's uh, so which cool. Which has been yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a he he's a paladin with a shield and a whip, and like it's 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 a lot of fun. And and it's funny. I think what survive what's helped me survive the pandemic with game is gaming because not only. And not only just video games, which you can play online very easily, but board games and specifically Tabletop Simulator, which allows you to play a ton of different board games and just tabletop gaming in general, pen and paper, D&D kind of stuff. I think because the, there's a, the important parts of those games are the human connection. And even if you can't be in the same space, there is something to it. But I do miss playing physical board games with people around a table. I miss it desperately. And it's not something that... I realized I would miss so much because like you play with friends once a week or once every two weeks. And you don't really think about it when you're just doing it. But like this pandemic has made it really hard to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I find myself that, you know, I'll be, <laughs> I miss the moments. I used to be like, you know, you go to the office or whatever, whatever your yeah. case is. And then you only have so much time for lunch or a break or, you know, on the way there and back. You, you have these commute times that you're you're trying to reduce not like add things in so sometimes maybe you're short at the gas station or you're you're running in and out and don't see a person that you recognize at the grocery store or something and then now it's the reverse where you're like man i would just love to be around people um like you said i take for granted how many times i was at a table with unique people we're laughing even if it's just at people's facial gestures you know like the stuff that you uh, a lot of people playing uh, role playing games online are doing it without cameras, and I get it. But like, I'm not looking at you for like your looks, right? I'm looking at you for like the human <laughs> connection. Like, please play with cameras because I just want to see that like 
when I say stuff, you have a reaction. And then when you right. say stuff, I have a reaction. Because uh, that, there's that give and take uh, of uh, just being human, you know, that uh, now it's just so crazy that it, uh, you can be so removed from it and feel, I don't know. In my case, I've been so quarantined because, uh, yeah. uh, you know, just my, my, my parents have like health issues and sure. uh, my son's just turned two recently. So the thought of being quarantined either from him or him from I, like yeah. you can't explain that when you don't have words yet, you know, like it's just this horrible things happen if I'm just silly for a minute and catch COVID. So I'm just like, ah, I'm just being as safe as possible. But yeah, yeah it's, it's tough. tough. It's, it's tough to be yeah. super safe in this time. And maybe you, you know? probably even mentioned it. Like we're probably even pretty good, good people for COVID. <laughs> like, so, but it's just been so long now, you know, like we're good candidates because we like to have time to ourselves to play video games or work on our projects, which make us good candidates. We're not like at home twiddling our thumbs. Like what, what am I going to do now? Um, yeah, totally. But yeah, especially in with making games um, being such a thing that I make them to enjoy them with people. So yeah. when, when you run a game that you've created or you try to play test a game, like there's so much creative energy, but like, this just positive energy that you have when people are laughing at your thing, you know, when it's working and when it's not working, but there's just, so the ebb and flow of creativity, especially when the quarantine started in March was wild, you know, cause it was just, um, a natural, uh, lack of connection. And you're like, what you, you instantly are like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending hours tucked away in a place working on this thing when I don't know, uh, when I'm going to get to get that boost of energy that'll revive me, regenerate me, keep me going. Um, so yeah, and that's been difficult throughout, you know, it's just, uh, I, you get used to it, I guess, you know, it's not the craziest thing in the world, but, uh, yeah, that's been hard. Cause I, like I ran convention booths. So it was like every month I would be thrust into a place with 2000 to, you know, to 80,000 people. And I'd be working a booth for you know, anywhere from four to 12 hours a day. And then when I'm not I'm playing games with people or running out to run a game for somebody. And, you know, these are like three to five day long experiences. You just throw yourself and your whole life disappears and you're just immersed into the people who do this thing and all that life and energy as they're all kind of on vacation and excited. Uh, and I haven't had any of those, you know, because the yeah. online versions are just not the same. They're, no, hey, it's a Discord that. channel, which is <laughs> sometimes good, but yeah, often it's just kind of, yeah, interactional, right? Like, hey, anybody know where you find the thing? Thanks. All right. You know, like, they're not people, right? They're just like avatars. Yeah, for sure. Um, my next question is, as someone who designs games, I have to imagine you have tons of ideas in your head, more ideas than you can possibly actually publish. Has there ever been an idea for a game that you just can't nail down? Like, there's a theme that you want to do, but you can't you can't figure out how to make it work? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how my process works is I, I really like, um, I just have a simple app. That's like a checklist app on my phone. I, it's called clear. Um, but it's literally like you just write stuff in and you can move them up or down to prioritize them and you can swipe them left or right and you make groupings under certain topics. So, but I've been using it for years, just a simple list app. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, I just, I add games to like my little game folder and I move them up and down. And as you're working on games, uh, the weird part is that, okay, so this kind of goes in the, the big picture is like when you have, you know, you're making your first game, 
you don't have a real game company that's selling anything. You're kind of selling yourself and you're going and having fun with people as you're just running your game for people and going to places where they are, Um, which is awesome. Um, But the weird part is then you go to the part where you're trying to like get their emails and whatever information you can so that you can sell it to them one day. And then so part of your time goes to that and then you get ready for a Kickstarter and then part of your time goes for that and then you have the Kickstarter and then now you have these new masters, right? Obviously, you're really busy during the Kickstarter and then afterwards, you have the pressure of them waiting for the product and if it's your first thing, trying to like make it better and better, but eventually being like, I have to send this out so they get it on time um, yep. because a lot of people, you know, it's, it's easy to keep making a game better and better. It's hard to make it perfect. Right, so that sure. you gotta make those choices of like, okay, this feels about right, but I'm out of time, and there'll be more games, and because perfection is the enemy of done, right? right? So, the point is, and then now, cool, you send it to your backers. Now we gotta get it to retail, and we gotta sell it at conventions, and we have to like the real hustle begins. So every step of the way, your time is getting halved and halved and halved and halved. <laughs> And then you're like, cool, here's another product or an expansion. We're selling that, but we're still trying to run the old game, but we're testing the next one and we're running this thing. You got more people and you're a project manager. You know, you just find yourself very quickly with a long list of games <laughs> that you want to make because they just, you know, you can know, you, can, you can't produce them anywhere near as fast as they just drop in your head. So... Right. Largely, you're making. I got one list that's like rules systems, like what, like with rest in pieces. I wanted to innovate yeah. on this Jenga role playing game concept, so that eventually I I matched with this sort of death and all his friends concept that I got from a Coldplay song, and saw some art that kind of inspired me, and I thought it was this unique thing. I focus tested it. Uh, a focus group tested it, and that's where he came up with the slacker version of it, and was like, oh my god. Um, so I was toying around with that for a while and yeah, like you see, you get these concepts all the time, whether it's rules or just a high concept of like something neat to make. Like for a long time I was like, okay, how come there's no Harry Potter role-playing game, which there's some unofficials, but then there's this in the name of the wind, which is a very cool, more modern Patrick Rothfuss, um, sort of college age magic school. Which yeah. he masterfully talks about how, like, you know, the kid who's going through doesn't have like rich benefactors, so he's fighting for tuition. He's got to keep good grades, but he's kind of going on these crazy journeys because it's this adventure story. But it has all those feels of like struggle of being in college. You have all these new things pulling you in different directions. You don't know how you're going to pay for the next semester. You're making choices that aren't always in the best interest of you because sometimes you have to make them in the interest of money so you can go to the go into school. I was like, where's the game that covers like grade school through college? I wanted like that whole magical school journey. So there's been yeah. a couple of things that have popped in, but like that's a big one. Like I love the idea that like Harry Potter meets in the name of the wind. Like I mm-hmm. wanted those high school kids to become college kids and see. Like who are who are the dropouts and who goes on to be valedictorian and what are the stories that are told and who gets eaten by a dragon or blows himself up in chemistry? Um, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot, and then, the, then there's stupid ideas like you just get fucking sick of mosquitoes and you make a game that's called Fuck Mosquitoes and you're like, how can I make this? Like, should it literally be about like killing bugs in the room or you know? So um, you, you're always thinking of weird concepts and and. I just kind of keep moving those games on that list, you know? And then when yeah. this, when Rest of the Pieces is solid, uh, you're you're already working on the next one. But, like, it, they're kind of in queue, if that makes sense. It's like a reading list. Yeah. yeah.
Totally. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. So uh, my next question is, before we start to wrap up, obviously the Kickstarter for Rest in Pieces is done. And now it's about finishing it and fulfilling it. But will Rest in Pieces be available for purchase after that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, first thing will happen is, um, depending on when when this airs, uh, there'll be a backer kit. Backer Mm -hmm. kit's like a pledge manager. So it's really just the site where I I can survey the people like yourself who backed the game. We can talk about what add-ons you wanted to pick. Because some some of the backer levels you get to pick, like I want these two expansions or this one or something. Um, there'll be opportunities for people to pre-order it to kind of get in a little bit of the Kickstarter stuff um, if they want to get some more of the advantages before it releases. But the goal is that by next summer, hopefully we'll have conventions again and there'll be more (laughs) retail stores that you might venture into. Yeah, and you'll be able to pick up a copy of Rest in Pieces at your friendly local game or comic store or at a gaming convention or, of course, online. Like I I sell games anyway at imagininggames.com. So mm-hmm. a bunch of, you know, award-winning games, not just myself, but, you know, some from the Indie Game Developer Network and other friends in sort of assorted game design family. So, Awesome. Well, that's a great lead into, um, before we wrap up, I would love for you to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, where they can find your games, and they can buy your games and give you money. Like, that's the goal. So uh, let folks know where they can find you online. Yeah, so uh, my game company is Imagining Games. Uh, so, like I said, you go to imagininggames.com. You'll find all the social links there. I tweet at Vem Branner, V E M B R A N O R. Again, you could find that on the Imagining Games page. On Facebook, there's Imagining Games. If you're really into Rest in Pieces, we have a sweet Rest in Pieces group on Facebook. So, there's a whole bunch of places you can find me and then the games I sell and the games I make. So, awesome. Very cool. Um, and lastly, I would love for you to just share. With with game designers just starting out, where like what if you if you could do it all again and you needed like you, there was one thing that you couldn't think of that now you could share like what's the starting point for an indie game designer if they're not sure where to start like what would be your advice on how they get started designing games? Okay, so oh, the three rapid fire quick points here are like uh, you know people are like hey if I want to make games and I could go to school what do I do I'm like graphic design. Go learn graphic design because if you can, if you don't have the natural talent for art, like drawing your own stuff, which I mean, if you can draw and write, like you are, you are, you were made for this and we hate you already because like, you are just, you can do it all. But the next best thing that you can do is you can learn graphic design. So if that's kind of your angle, cool. Um, one of the things I think of a lot from talking to people, especially a lot of people, like we, we do this cool thing in the Indie Game Developer Network called the, uh, it used to be called the Metatopia Sponsorship, but it became the the Diversity Sponsorship. We find marginalized people, whether it's like because they're in different countries or they're of different ethnic backgrounds, people of color, gender backgrounds, you know, um, we find them and we try to introduce them to the greater RPG or tabletop gaming industry because we're trying to make it more diverse. We believe we're stronger together if it's more diverse because this has had a history of a lot of middle-aged white guys making everything for a long period of time because it came out of war gaming and all kinds of stuff. So I've seen so much imposter syndrome uh, Mm -hmm. and everyone has it, even like the people who make the best stuff. Like they just, (laughs) everyone thinks that they're not the best uh, everyone is, I mean, it's probably an artist thing, right? Like artists right. always are like harder on themselves. So game masters are hard on themselves. People make games are hard on themselves. So, you know, you are good enough and you can do it, right? Like that's just as simple as it is. 
if you can stick to it and remember that like perfection is the enemy of done. Your first game yeah. won't be your best game. Your second game will be better. Your third game will be better. Um, it, it's just about keep growing, keep making stuff, keep making, and keep trying your best. You know, make people happy. Yeah. If they're laughing, you're probably having a good time. You're in the right track. So, awesome. Well, Pete, thank you so much. It's a pleasure chatting with you. I feel like I could chat for another four hours, but I wouldn't put my listeners through that. Um, but I, I was honored to be asked to be a part of I, uh, the Indie Groundbreaker Awards. I'm yeah, happy to do it so again. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're still st- hopefully not, but if we're still stuck in quarantine next summer, you can count me in. Yeah, again. yeah, um, I, I but, can't uh, thank you enough because yeah, <laughs> where's right? You know, I could kiss ass, but you gave it like a level of professionalism, right? Like, because it would have been someone like me who's like, okay, I'm not really a podcaster, and I'm going to start interviewing people. Probably would have talked way more than them and just been like, thanks, Pete. I'm glad we spent our post show and it was 55 minutes of you, <laughs> like with like just a revolving door of people sitting there staring. Um, no, I'm happy to. I was happy to do it. It was a blast, and uh, I was happy to be involved. And I'm hoping that because uh, I want to do some more tabletop streaming, I'm hoping once rest rest in pieces comes out, I can do that too. But uh, but this this was a delight. Um, the last thing I'll have you do is we have a saying on the show, which is music is life and life is good. It's this idea that as long as you're creating, even when life is shit, which some people might say it is now, you're you're still you can still you'll be okay. And so if you could just wrap us up by saying music is life and life is good, we'll end the show. Music is life and life is good. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good.